you dismissed the junior church, you're welcome um, to go out now um, to junior church or the men's class. And um, also, it not it awesome to see kids and teenagers in church? Um, a healthy church ought to be filled with every demographic there is in the community. And so there ought to be people that are the senior saints. There ought to be people are in that middle age uh, life. There ought to be young adults. There ought to be teenagers. There ought to be children. And there ought to be every single race that's represented in the community in the church. And when that's going, you know you're reaching the community. It's not just one type of church. It's not just an old person's church. It's not just a new and hip church. It is the church, the lighthouse of the community. And that light shines to everyone no matter where it is. Now, I do got a little confession to make today. I've never done Advent things before, like, you know, except maybe when I was Catholic and younger. So I had no, and you, if you go online, you look up and there's all different Advent themes per week. I thought David said it was hope, peace, faith, love, Christ. That's what I thought he said. Now I got here today and I'm talking to Sid. He's like, today's joy. And I'm like, no, it's faith. I don't care what that paper says. Today's faith. <laughs> so today, you listen, here it is. The joy of the Lord is my strength, but you can't have joy in the Lord if you don't have faith in God. See how that works? See how that works? So today you get, what is, what's next week supposed to be? Someone tell me the, oh, sorry, hit this. What's supposed to be next week? Is it faith next week? Love? So there is no faith. There's none? Is that what it is? There's no faith. You don't need any. Well, today you're getting faith. So, hey, listen, if you can have a good time, I can have a good time. And here's the thing. Here's what I really do believe. I'm sorry. Joy will find its way somewhere. I promise you. Um, but if you can't, we sang about joy. That's, that's what happened. Um, but here's what I do firmly believe. I don't believe there are accidents with God. And I believe, in, and I do pray about, Lord, what will you have me preach and what passage. And for whatever reason, if in my misguided humanity, we ended up here. I promise <clears throat> there's something in the Word of God for us here. I do believe in that. And so if you were coming for joy, curveball got thrown, buckle in, that's how the Holy Spirit works. I also am a firm believer in allowing the Holy Spirit to redirect even mid-service. There have been times when we had this planned, and all of a sudden we, we knew the Holy Spirit was redirecting. And we redirected, because how are we not going to follow the Holy Spirit? We're people that are led by the Spirit of God, Sometimes the Spirit of God intervenes and redirects. I'm all for that. And I don't know, I mean, I'll just trust that what we have here, the Word of God is not returned void. But I do apologize if you came and said, man, I'm really down in the dumps. I'm looking for a message on joy. We'll figure it out somewhere. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I can't believe there's no faith in the Advent. But Sid, that's why I was looking at you, and I'm like, what is he reading? I don't know. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure. Let's pray again. Father, thank you, Lord, that even despite our humanity, you are sovereign, you are holy, you are righteous. And Lord, Father, it is an absolute truth that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and there's no doubt that Satan tries to rob us of that joy um, day by day, moment by moment. Lord, he knows that if he can divorce us from that joy then he can absolutely wreak havoc in our life and ruin and rob the strength from us. Father, it is equally, if not more so, Lord, that he absolutely tries to run interference in our faith 
Because if we do not have a solid faith, we are not going to have the joy in the Lord. We're not going to have the peace. We're not going to have the hope. And so, Father, whatever it is that you'd like to speak to us about today, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fully make that known in our hearts. That the Word of God would not return void. Father, that you would just um, speak about things in our own specific lives, Father, that would be applicable, that would be um, helpful, Lord, that you, we would know that you spoke to us today. And it was not just generic Bible preaching, but it was Holy Spirit leading in our hearts. And so, Father, we love you. We ask for the joy on you to continue that was only brought through Christ. And, Father, we pray that you'd help our attention and our minds be upon you today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, oh, Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bible, I want to, and I, and I had here, this is what I have in the first sentence, we looked at hope and peace over the last two weeks. Today we're going to look at faith, nah, not, nothing to do with joy, but um, I do want to look at the Bible, one of the Bible narrative stories today. Now Luke chapter 2 is the, one of the main Bible narratives, but today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, which is also a Bible narrative, and I, want to look for, I do want to look at this transformative faith, or, or what faith does in our lives and we, we hear all these terms in the Bible, like the just shall live by faith. And, and, and um, the, the idea of, of um, that, that faith is the evidence of things hoped for and, and, and um, the things not seen. And we, we have all these things that we're to live by faith, walk by faith. But we ask, what is faith? What is faith? Now, in a nutshell, faith is believing God at His Word, taking God at His Word. Now, we said a couple weeks ago, hope is this, believing God at His Word, and then joyfully expecting what He's going to do, trusting so much in what He says that we're literally expecting it and, and anticipating it. Now, with faith in God, faith is not blind faith, right? It, it, it has evidence that brings us to the reasoning of it. It brings us to the, the bridge that's called faith. Now, everybody in the world has faith. There's not a single person in this world who does not have faith. Even atheists have faith. True Christians have faith that God is real and that Jesus is the Savior, and by trusting Him, we can have forgiveness of sins and we can have a home in heaven. And, and in, that, in that worldview, Jesus is the object of our faith. Atheists have faith that God isn't real. And they're willing to gamble their eternity on that object that there is no God. And so you have to have faith to believe that God exists. You have to have faith that it's the Christian God. You have to have faith that the way to uh, get to the Christian God is through Jesus Christ who died in our place. You have to have faith in that. Or if you're an atheist, you have faith that there is no God and all of that is false. And you will, every one of us will face the consequences in eternity based on our faith. Do you realize that? Every single person goes to eternity to face the consequences of their faith. I don't even say lack of faith. I say their faith. They're trusting in something. And so whether someone's eternity is secure in Christ or it's not is based on faith. You and I were to live by faith. But the object of our faith is what matters most. And as believers, we sometimes struggle um, with the faith and the object of our faith. We bounce back and forth to trusting in God and His Word and His provision to trusting in ourselves, to trusting in circumstances that cause us to worry, to um, fearing certain things, and that can be a huge struggle. You and I, we come as people, I, I, would, I would guess the vast majority of people would say that they are a child of faith, that they are a person of faith, that you and I are here because we have some sort of faith. 
But I, I, I guarantee that you and I struggle with that sometimes. We struggle with the idea of trusting God versus trusting in myself, even for the daily provisions, even for the daily duties, even for the, for the things that sometimes cause us fear. If you put the news on and you hear this happened and another variant of this happened and another obstacle of this and another world cataclysmic thing like this, those things can cause fear in our lives and those circumstances can rise up and our faith can diminish. And, and, and different things. So there's always a struggle with that back and forth, and that can be a huge obstacle in our lives. Today, I want you to be inspired in the faith of the foreigners that we're going to look at here today. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in a very non-Jewish way. To the Jews, the narrative of God, Jehovah, from Abraham and through uh, Isaac and Jacob on, has come through Jews until we get to the New Testament here. And the Gentiles were often considered to be dogs and heathens and things like that. But we have in Matthew chapter 2 this great faith of these foreigners that are here. So if you have your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. And I want you to consider whether or not where your faith is. Number one, do you have saving faith? Do you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? Do you know for sure where your eternity will be? Not based on your good works not based on your sincerity, not based on how good you try to be, not based on how bad you try not to be, but based on what the Bible says alone. That's number one. And number two, the second thing I want you to consider is where is your faith? If the just shall live by faith and we're to walk by faith and not by sight, how is that activating in your life? How is that um, showing up in your life? Are you somebody that is walking by faith or are you someone that's struggling in it? Let's see if God can't help us this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou least among the princes of Judah. For out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. There's your joy. Exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own way, unto uh, their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. And so we'll stop reading there. This is the story of the Magi. This is the story of the three kings, some people call it, or the wise men here. And I want you to see a couple of things here, because this relates to these men who were not from Israel, were not part of the Jewish narrative, did not grow up under the, the hands of the Jewish rabbis there in Israel. They were not like people like Paul, the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, or the prophets. These were people from the Far East. And I want you to consider some things in here that might, that might kind of help define what faith looks like. Also define what faith is lived out like. James says it like this, faith without works is dead. And so we do know this. It's not that works bring faith. That's a, that is false. It's that true faith actuates itself in works. It brings forth works. So I want you to consider a couple things this morning. Number one, consider their relationship to Christ. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, we, uh, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. There these were, these men, um, not in their own country. They were in their own country, a foreign country to the east. And we don't truly know how far it was, but they were somewhere in the Orient, perhaps, or in Asia, far east. Now the word, word wise men is the word that would be transliterated magi. Now magi is the Babylonian name for astrologers and sorcerers and soothsayers. So as a matter of fact, the Greek word magos is only used in the New Testament here in this passage and in the passage that in Acts that's translated sorcerer for Simon Bar-Jesus. And so what we're getting just from their title in Greek is that these probably were Eastern astrologers uh, who were studying the stars and the constellations. And so they were very familiar what it looked like. They were very familiar with the stars. They were familiar with everything that was set up there, and then when a new star appears, they would be the ones who would notice it. What's amazing is that they know somehow that this star represents the coming king of the Jews, the Christ. Now the word Christ means anointed one. And so they're looking up there, they're studying whatever it is that they're doing. And, and I, I said astrologers, not astronomers, because there's a high likelihood that they had some kind of religious mindset with the stars, rather than just studying out the distance and all of that. They see a star, and somehow they know the anointed one, the Savior, the King of the Jews, this is a sign of His birth. And so they travel many, many, many miles. From the time they see the star until they make it up to Jerusalem, which, by the way, by the way, I want you to take note of this, it could have been upwards of two years' journey. Now, if you're sitting at your house and someone says, we need milk, can you go up to the store and get milk? There's probably some contemplating and complaining that goes on. Can we get it tomorrow? Do I really have to go out now? 
Because as Long Islanders, we don't want to drive 15 minutes or five minutes even to go get milk. We don't want to have to go do that. Imagine seeing a star that says, now journey, and the journey could be two years. I'd be like, I see no star. I don't see anything. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what you see. You can all go now. I'm just looking at this. But upwards of two years. And now, how do I know that? Well, because later on when Herod says, when did you see the star? And that gives him a time of about two years because from the time the star is to the time they get there is two years and he starts slaughtering the children that are two years old and younger because he wants to make sure he gets Jesus. So in his mind, the star appeared when? Okay, two years ago. I'll kill everybody two years and under just to make sure. That's how kind of we know. So they leave their home, right? They leave their comfort. They leave this, their, their land, and they journey, right? And it's a, ruggish, a rugged journey. They're, they're, they're walking. They're on camels. They're, they're amongst thieves. They're amongst pestilences. They're amongst weird animals that are out there in the desert and the wilderness and all things like that. And they, they have this journey. It inspires them. And it invigorates them to take these steps of faith from their home. In two years, they make it there, or less, and they go right to Herod, who's the current king. And notice what they ask him. Where is the king of the Jews? Now, that is going to absolutely annoy Herod. Because Herod's going to say, what do you mean king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. Because he was set as the leader over them. But notice also that when they come and said, where are the king of the Jews? It means that they're not Jewish. Because they would have said, where is our king? He says, where are the king of the Jews? Now the Bible, now this is a, as a challenge to us. The Bible tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. And here one of the first people that's recorded to care about the birth of Jesus on a spiritual level are foreigners, not Jewish people. They're not men of God. But could actually be argued that they were their practices were opposite God. These foreigners nationally and foreigners spiritually were more concerned about Christ and about the prophecy of God than some of God's own people. And I wonder, as a way of application, if you and I are as concerned about Christ as these here were. I wonder if we knew as much prophecies as these pagans did. I wonder if we concern ourselves about the Savior as much as these men did. If God challenged you to step out on faith, what would be a long and rigorous journey of leaving all your comforts for years, would you do that? Because here's men who have no relationship with Christ seemingly, and their faith, knowing this means the king of the Jews is here, we will go find him that we might bring him things and see who he is. Their faith in their knowledge and in what it meant led them to abandon all that they were comforted with. One of the hard parts about America is that we get addicted to comfort, don't we? Uh, and we've seen this in the pandemic, our comfort... And what we're used to gets taken away, and all of a sudden we get all kinds of crazy. We get all kinds of upset. The sky is falling. We run around like Chicken Little. The sky is falling because we can't find toilet paper. 
or we can't, you know, the store's not open. As, I, I got to know like that. store's not open late anymore. Why is the store's open late? Amazon brought my package a day late. I should have it for free. It is amazing how addicted to comfort we've gotten. And the Bible tells us that we're believers, that we're sojourners, we're travelers, we're pilgrims. We don't belong. But somehow we say, no, no, I, I belong here and I want to be, I want comfort. And the minute we're not comfortable, guess who gets blamed for it? Sometimes God, right? How come you allowed this? My bed is not comfortable anymore. These men, two years journey, who knows what they slept on? Who knows how many nights? No cell phone calls home. No text messaging. No social media scrolling. No video games to pass the time. They just kept on going. Their faith, in whatever little it was, pressed them on. And God saw fit to include it in the inspired Word of God. These men were not Jewish. They were foreigners. So I want you to consider their standpoint, and then we compare it to us. Here we are, believers. Is our faith even remotely close to what theirs is? Number two, look at their commitment to the journey and their desire to worship Christ. Their commitment to the journey and their desire to worship Christ. Verse 2, they say, where is the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Their commitment to worship. We have these foreigners who have no relationship with God, no ties to Israel that we know about whatsoever. And they travel upwards of two years. And what, and what did they do it for? In all those storms, and all the rough terrain, why did they do it? To worship Him. Now, I don't know about you, that, all, that starts adding conviction to our American church attendance. It's amazing how many Christians in our world come to God or come to church for selfish reasons. Matter of fact, most of us, we think, why are we here? Well, we're here because they better have... When we, and, and, and I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody here, but let me kind of paint a picture of American Christianity. They pick a church that has the programs that suit them and their family, that has the music they like, that has the speaker that they enjoy, that has the refreshments that they like. And I'm not saying that these things aren't good to have in church. But what I'm saying is our mentality to be able to come because what's in it for me, as opposed to worshiping Him. When we start to have any other reason to be here but to worship Christ, it's time to start recalibrating our priorities it's starting to rework things sometimes they come to church to feel better about how they live the rest of the week they come to church because they want to check off the religious checklist and really the reason we ought to be here is to worship christ and sometimes if we go to a church and we say i'm not getting anything out of it there's nothing in it for me we leave and guess what? I get something out of Netflix on Sunday morning or I get something more out of sleep or I get something out of, instead of Christ died in our place. Christ commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why wouldn't we want to worship him? And these men who had no personal relationship with Christ came 
for the right reasons. They risked everything for the right reason to worship him. And here, right in America, and in New York too, and I'm the same way, so trust me when I say this, I'm the same way. We have a hard time traveling 25 minutes to go worship Christ. Now, that's far away. And here they, were, they, they, they travel two years. On camelback or on foot, just to worship him. And next time you have an excuse to not be in church, you remember the wise men. And I'm not trying to, no, I am. You know what? Holy Spirit convicts us. We ought to be here when we ought to be here. Now, you know when you, when you know when you have, like when God says, okay, there's something else. And I understand that. I'm not saying there's never going to be something else. But you and I know, let's be real. We know that a lot of times there's something else are because we put something else there. And let this inspire us that this faith made a difference in their life of how they wanted to worship and who they wanted to worship and their commitment to worship. By the way, that even speaks to when we're here. This is how we worship Christ. That's how we sing it. Do you think that's how heaven's going to be? Do you think you're going to get away with that in heaven? Now, I don't sing good, and that's for sure. Robbie and I are going to sing a duet soon and drive everybody out of the church. That's what he told me. Him and I are going to be alone and singing, probably. But I was convicted recently because I saw, I saw somebody write something about dads. I don't want to hear that you can't sing well, sing loud, because you probably cheer loud at the sports games. And I thought, yeah, I do. Mets score a run, I'm screaming, yelling. The Bills lose to the Patriots. I'm screaming, yelling, because I'm a Bills fan, by the way. I'm a Bills fan, so when the Patriots won, I was mad about that. All last Monday night, I was mad about that. Um, and I'm getting mad about, you know. But we ought to be here. When we're here, be here. Worship, heartfelt, soul-felt, from all the talents and gifts that we have. They traveled far more than 25 minutes. And we have a relationship with God, don't we? They did, and we do. And we take that for granted. We're, we're really apathetic and cold to it. It doesn't concern us. We can get there when we get there, when we're there, when we get out. And I don't got time for this stuff, but I know I'm supposed to, so I guess I will. Shame on us. Christ is so much more than that. Isn't he? He's so much more than that. And so the wise men were not there in the manger. You see the manger scene and you see the three wise men. They weren't there at the manger. And they weren't kings as far as we know. There is still a whole lot we can learn from them. Because they didn't let anything stop them from their pursuit of him. As he drew them in with the star, they didn't let anything stop them. How many times you and I, God is drawing us in for something and we're pursuing it and then we just give up because we get discouraged. I'm there all the time. I tell you that. I'm all the time discouraged. Do I keep going? Do I not? Don't let anything stop your pursuit of him. They didn't waver. They didn't grow weary on their journey. They didn't give up. And again, I ask myself this question. How is it us, uh, how is it that these men who are so committed to following God and us Christians have so little commitment to following God? As soon as it gets a little rough, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. As soon as the cares of the world come, they, they get choked up by them. And a thorn, by the thorns, and they get taken away like the parable of the sower. So their pursuit of it, to worship him, 
I want you to see their sacrifice worship to Christ. So they pursued it, their dedication, their commitment, and their desire to worship him. I want you to see their sacrifice in worshiping him. Look at verse number three now. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor, and shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And they sent to Bethlehem and said, Go ahead and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring word again that I may come and worship him. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they go to Herod and they say, where are the king of the Jews? We mentioned this. And Herod begins to freak out a little bit. He is a descendant of Abraham, even though he is working for Rome right now. He's a descendant of Abraham, but he is not of Isaac and Jacob. He is a descendant of Esau, so he is a descendant of the Edomites. And so when he hears that the king of the Jews is born, it's concerning. But he also knows that this is a confirmation that this is the Christ, the coming Messiah. And so he says, okay, call the chief priests and scribes and religious leaders. Let me find out where the Christ should be born. And he wanted to know from the wise men when the star appeared, okay, where is he supposed to be born? When did it appear? And he gives orders to the Magi to come and get him when they find him because he wants to worship Christ as well. Now we know this from the narrative. This is all completely false. He doesn't want to worship Christ. He wants to kill them all. Why? Because anytime God shows up, Satan shows up, right? And Satan is going to try to thwart it. Herod's going to try to thwart it. And the wise men leave. Now the star that brought them there now appears before them. And it appears in Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem. This is truly from God. They followed it. They got right to Herod. And now they got to go find him. And the star appears again and starts to lead them. And then when they get to the house, verse 11, they find Christ. And they worship him. And they present him gifts. And this is where the song comes from, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, many things that these uh, gifts actually symbolized his life. Gold for his deity and being king of kings. Frankincense for the fragrance of his life, the, pure, the purity of it. And myrrh, which was used for embalming, a, a symboling of his death, a symbolizing of his death. But either way, these three came to worship him and they attached with them these gifts of sacrifice and amazing value. Think about that. How much gold and how heavy gold is. They carry that. And then frankincense and myrrh, which are not easy to cultivate, not easy to get. Frankincense from a sap, if I'm not mistaken in this, and, and having to do all that. And they sacrifice much to worship Him, right? Their faith in the star and what it meant, and the King of the Jews led them on this arduous journey, and it led to give them this sacrifice. That was very costly. What do we give to Christ? 
I'm not even asking monetary resources. That's between you and the Lord and your given. That's not even what we're talking about here. There are people in the Philippines that desire to find dedication to Christ in all of the wrong ways. They're trying to make penance for their sins. And they literally will take like a cat of nine tails and whip themselves and beat themselves bloody to appease God. They're trying to show forth their dedication of sacrifice. You know God's not asking for that? He's already paid for our sins. He doesn't need us to pay for them. But I will tell you what He is looking for. And it's mentioned in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God says, I don't necessarily need you to die for me. Now, he has sometimes called people to die for him. But he's saying, I'm not asking you to die for me. I'm asking you to give your life as a sacrifice for me. Live for me with your whole entire life. Your future, live it for me. Your daily, li- daily living and choices, live for me. Choose to do that. That's what I require of you. And by the way, the Bible says that's your reasonable service. How far along do you go for God? How far along do you go for Christ? Is He something you just sprinkle in? Is He something that you just add to your resume? Is He something that you get to when you can get to it? Or is your life a living sacrifice for Jesus? I see these men who journeyed far more than I would probably ever want to journey. And had more faith in what they did not know than I do in what I do know. And they sacrificed so much more, seemingly, than I might ever be willing to sacrifice. If I'm going to be honest. Man, that's a lot. Gold, a a treasure full of gold here. Frankincense and myrrh here. Easily, right? I don't see any star. Easily a month into the journey being like, what are we doing? Let's go back and give treasures. And notice they they didn't seem to do it. They didn't seem to do it reluctantly. I feel like half the time Christians serve Christ, it's reluctantly. All right. No one else is going to do it. I guess I'll do it. Isn't that like how we are sometimes? I don't even know what this is supposed to be doing. Um, Isn't that how we are? You want to talk about joy. We miss joy when we don't serve with delight. It ought to be a blessing, not a burden. But sometimes what are we addicted to? Comfort. And that comfort, the serving part, serving part, gets in the way of our comfort, gets in the way of our laziness, gets in the way of our, I don't feel like it. And man, I look at these guys, and I'm like, sorry, God. I know you, and I don't know if my faith would reflect these who didn't even know you. Thank you, Lord, for showing me this. Thank you for having patience with me on this. Help me to be more faithful to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Because they sacrificed convenience, time, energy, money, their home comforts, all to worship the King of Kings just to get a chance to give Him something and to worship Him. Are you hearing me? And we can take the page right out of their book and say, does our worship look like these men's worship? I want you also to notice their obedience to God. Look at verse 12. So they bring Jesus these gifts. They enter the house, not the manger, right? They enter the house and Mary and Joseph are there. And I don't know if it's little toddler Jesus. I don't know what all that is. It just says the young child, right? It just they, they, they bring Jesus these gifts. And then while they're there and being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. They get to Jesus, and that night they're thinking probably, okay, we're going to go back and tell Herod where to find this baby, where to find this child. And that night the Lord says, no, don't. It's a trap. Don't do it. Thank God for God showing us sometimes what's ahead. And tells them, don't go. Go a different way. And so they get up that next morning, and they don't go what the king told them to do. Remember, if the, if the king told them, you better come to me and tell me. They didn't, they went another way. They had enough faith to trust in the word of God over the trusting of the human authority. So they were obedient to this, and they left their country in a different way. They disregarded the earthly king for the heavenly king, and had they been caught, it's a good chance they would have been killed. And all it took was one word from God, and they obeyed it. Christians, how about us? Do we find in our, ourselves to obey or does God have to constantly keep redirecting us because we don't obey? I mean, we are stubborn people at times, aren't we? We're hard-hearted. They get one word from God, oh yeah, I'll obey it. We have to be knocked over the head a million times. I feel like Jonah sometimes. Now, I don't feel like it. You know, God says, go to preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, no. I'll run, I'll get on a boat the opposite direction. And yet they obeyed at the word. So here's what we can learn from this aspect of the Christian story. The Christmas story, rather. They had no real, real relationship with Christ. Yet they desired to worship him. They sacrificed in worshiping him. They obeyed him at his very word. And they spent basically one night there. They didn't spend weeks and weeks. They spent one night there. Friend, if Jesus really is your Savior, and you trusted him in your faith for eternal life, are you trusting him in your faith for your daily life? Or does your faith kind of pale? Is your faith kind of weakened? Is your faith kind of dry? Because what we see here is something that ought to convict us, ought to inspire us, ought to change us. Faith produces works. Faith produces action. Let me also talk to you about this, and then we'll be done just about. If you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Just believing in God doesn't get you to heaven. Being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. 
Being really sincere with your attitudes and actions don't get you to heaven. Jesus said this, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Whosoever shall call upon Me, the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? There'd be no better Christmas gift than Jesus Christ in your life. And it'll change everything. And there's no strings attached. There's no, well, you're going to have to, you know, now do this, this, and this to keep yourself saved. No, 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 no. He saves you, and He keeps you. Friend, have you ever called on Jesus to save you? You know, it's got nothing to do with joining a church. It's got nothing to do with now becoming religious. It's realizing, Lord, I'm a, sa- I'm a sinner who deserves hell, but I know you died for me. I know I, I, I have sins and sins and sins. Forgive me for them. I'm asking you to be my Savior, and I'm trusting in you. Please save me. It's just calling out on Jesus, confessing before Him, and trusting Him as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins. Friend, where's your faith today? Maybe you're a Christian and your faith's waning. Maybe you're not saved and today could be the day of your salvation. Whatever it is, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes today. Father, I pray now, Lord, as we've looked and reflected on some of these things from the Magi, from the wise men, from these from the Orient, perhaps, their dedication to worship you, Lord, though they knew very, very little compared to what we know today. They didn't have the living word of God like we have today. They didn't have the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we do today. May their faith and what their faith led in action help us to trust you. And may it transform our lives to worship you more fervently, more consistently. May our heart desire you more abundantly. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us in that. Help our faith to take action. I also pray, Lord, for those that may not be saved. I pray that today would be the day that they call on you. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. But can I pray for you this morning? If you'd say here, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't know if Jesus is my own personal Savior Would you pray for me about that? I promise you this is not an embarrassing thing. I just want to be able to pray for you. Is there anyone like that? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Is there one like that here today? I'm not sure. God bless you. I see you. Anybody else? I'm not sure. I'm on my way to heaven. Please just pray for me. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Jason, I got to be honest, as a believer in Christ, my faith is sometimes complacent, sometimes stagnant, And God spoke in my life, and I want God to help me increase my faith. Would you raise your hand that I might pray for you? If your faith sometimes gets stagnant, I see your hands and your hands and your hands. Sure. Many hands. Sure. Anybody else? Let me ask one more question. I wonder if there's anybody in here who would say, Pastor Jason, there's some decisions I need to make in my life, and I've been holding them back because I'm kind of, but God's, spoke to my heart, and I need to be more fervent and dedicated in that area. If, if there's some decisions in your life you need to make about that, that you've kind of been lazy about or contempl- you know, contemplating because you're not sure, 
I can pray for you about that, is there anyone like that that has some decisions in their life they need to make? Okay, I see a couple hands. Okay, I will pray for you about this. Okay, okay. Let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. The piano's going to play. If you want to come pray about something, you want to come rejoice in God about something, you want to come just examine your own faith before the Lord, why don't you come as the piano plays? David said this, search me and know my ways. See if there be any wickedness in me. Sometimes it may not be wicked actions. Sometimes we just lack faith. Jesus said to the disciples multiple times, O ye of little faith. I'm thankful that God doesn't abandon us when we have weak faith. He loves us through it. He helps us through it. We come again in, Lord, my faith has not been what it should be this week. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for giving me an example in the Magi that did all of this in faith, knowing very little. Maybe you just realize you've been addicted to comfort, and, and that's what's kind of the stronghold in your life where you don't want to go the extra mile in worship for Christ because of that. Eh, I'm not, I don't want to leave my comfort zone. I don't want to do more. I'm happy with what I'm doing and my extracurricular this and that. There's still people praying. There's time for you. What does it mean the just shall live by faith? We walk by faith, not by sight. Hey, and friend, if you never trusted Christ, I, I challenge you to grab one of us after the service and say, can you help answer some questions? Can you let me know how I can know for sure I'm going to heaven? It would be a tragedy for anybody to hear the message of Christ week in and week out and still die and go to hell because they didn't know how. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in service together. Lord, thank you for the crowd of people you brought out today. And Father, I pray that you would just challenge our hearts through the way that only the Holy Spirit knows how to. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would make us children and, and, and recipients of your grace and, and children of your faith. And Lord, may you just call us to do mighty things for your name's sake. And Lord, we pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Look up here for a second. We're going to sing a song.